smooth jazz is a product of the 90s or a little bit earlier than that, but it got real big in the 90s. And then anybody who listened to jazz decided, we don't like this. This isn't real jazz. This is commercial nonsense. And then after it blew up in the public and given a couple years distance from it, they said, we like smooth jazz now. So a lot of big name jazz artists will play smooth jazz these days. I mean, why would you go to a jazz club when you could just watch the weather channel at the doctor's office? This is Millennium Bug. Millennium Bug. It's a podcast about movies from the year 2000. And I'll tell you what. I caught the bug. Oh, you got you caught it. I, I caught it. Is that this it? One. Are we doing Last it? Last week we did uh, uh, Meet the Parents. It was good. It was good. But this one got me. This, this, this is the bug. I agree. I am your handsome host, Tyler. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going to keep doing it. I, what did I say last time? I you said remember. cute, but oh. you, you can switch it up. Oh, man. I'm your, I'm your crime syndicate host, Nick. There it is. Here we go. Uh, this, this week is this week. Romeo Must Die, which I've listed in caps, is the peak of tiny sunglasses. Oh, <laughs> man. Uh, picture it. The year 2000. The crime capital of the world. San Francisco, no, California. It oh, it was? It was. I don't really yeah. care. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Okay, it's yeah. dumb either way. Sure, yeah, yeah. It was California, though. <laughs> it was. You got that much right. Thank you. That's, that's Those are the only notes I actually took. <laughs> it's the wrong <laughs> city. <laughs> so let's start with the fact that it is amazing that Jet Li mm. and Spike Lee are brothers. And it's... <laughs> It's, it's a shame that they weren't in this movie together because they really could have played what on it that. Revolves around. Because this movie revolves around the tensions between a black crime family and an Asian crime family. And that's about, and two of their children fall in love, and that's where it stops being Romeo and Juliet. Pretty much. You know, my favorite part of Romeo and Juliet is where Romeo steals a cab and Juliet jumps in to avoid a man who's chasing her. And, and then it's, it's a meet cute. It's perfect. <laughs> That's a film school word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard of, I've I, heard of it. I paid $40,000 for that word. Is that what you did? Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. I don't know how much I paid for college. I looked at how much I owe in my loans. I don't know where or good. when you went to college. <laughs> did you just think I showed up here? Yeah, started oh, recording yeah. this podcast. Pretty much. For when, Meet the Parents. Tyler has no object permanence. When I'm not here, I am gone. <laughs> Forever and always, and I miss you so much. Um, this movie has Jet Li as Han, whose name you don't find out until about halfway through the movie. Um, and Aaliyah as Trish, who... You know, it takes about maybe about a fifth of the movie to even show either of our two characters. I don't love that. Yeah. It was confusing because, um, I'm a child, so I don't really know who DMX is <laughs> or Aaliyah or Jet Li, like by looks, like I've yeah, seen maybe sure. one or two Jet Li sure. movies. So I would just keep seeing these African American and Asian actors and thinking like, Oh, is that Jet Li? Is that's that him. DMX? That's, yeah, that's him, right? That's like, him. No, just oh, looking at my roommates who are all, Almost a decade older than me and being like, is that, is that, is that them? Is that the MX? No. Um, fun story. This was the debut acting uh, uh, role for Aaliyah. Oh. She was offered the Juliet in the Leonardo DiCaprio uh, Romeo and Juliet. 
And she said, no, I don't think it's my time for acting yet. And then cut to a couple years later, she's playing sort of Julia. Oh, wow. She made a big mistake. <laughs> she sure did. Um, and then she died the year after yeah, this Yeah, a year later, um, her and Buddy Holly were in that plane crash that <laughs> took down the Twin Towers. <laughs> it's a real yeah. shame. You don't know how hard it took that for me to write one. that, that joke. That was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> fucking mint. A plus. <laughs> oh, my God. Cross that one off your fucking notes. <laughs> Um, this was the second American film for Jet Li, um, but apparently he didn't speak English in Lethal Weapon 4. So hmm. this is his first like breakout big lead. Why they chose them both as the leads, I don't know. That's true. But One of the people I was watching this with last night brought it up that Jet Li says almost no more than five words at a time. Yes. Which... He acute noticed basically the fact that he probably didn't speak very good English yes. and they could just coach him through five-ish words at a time. Yep. <laughs> and that's just fun to think about. When he says American football, yes. it's fantastic. But he... I don't mean to jump ahead, sure. but that scene where they play football was filmed in Canada. Apparently on a cloudy day, we read the same trivia. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I don't, not because of that, because I, um, as you might know, Canada plays every city in the world because it's cheaper to film in Toronto than anywhere sure, else. Sure, sure. And I, I knew, I knew this going in, and I thought, no. What happened was I could see their breath, like I could, I could see oh, the right, moisture right, in the breath, sure. and I was like, it seems cold. They're wearing t-shirts. They're in California. Yeah. That's weird. And I looked it up, and it was in Canada, and I was like, ha. Yeah, and apparently Bingo. a lot of the sky is CG on that scene as well. Good for them. Yeah. Um. So, rewind. That was my Canada rewind skies are famously <laughs> impossible to film. <laughs> All those fucking geese in the air, dude. <laughs> Um, littered with geese so this opening scene is is important to me and I wrote a couple notes on it Um, because the first noticeable person that I saw was DMX in this scene Um, this is a very sexy scene for why Um, I would imagine it is the young Asian man making out with his wife dash girlfriend while watching two other young Asian women Make out and get naked. <laughs> Although we only see one nipple. That's what. So I was gonna say we see a literal titty before any spoken dialogue occurs in this movie. And then the bouncer comes over and gives him a Bible lecture, <laughs> 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 which is a real downer in any club, uh, especially a club that you're not supposed to be in. Um, yeah. So a few things about this club. We later find out it's called Silk's Casino. Yes. Did you see any slot machines? I did not. When later in the movie, our two when they go back, characters yeah. go there, and I really thought they were going to a casino. Like, I missed the fact that it was called that. I was <laughs> just like, wait, what? And there's like a boat, boat in the parking lot. It was really confusing. Yeah, like, but also this this point. this is the first moment. I mean, first moment in the movie, but also the first like very year 2000 thing that I picked up on, which is that this club has like industrial like hanging lights that are all neon and crazy colored and whatever. And then they've got a chain link fence inside the club. Ooh, true. Very, very cool. I still think so. Uh, I think that would play really well in, well, let's say 2019 because 2020 is a hellscape year. Um, But that type of club would be great in a modern setting, (laughs) but it does, it does kind of shout 2000 at me. You've got a point. I hope so. I've got a couple more. 
<laughs> go ahead. They first show us the the Asian crime family in in this opening shot. Yes. And it, have you ever played a Yakuza game? No, I have uh, not. Well, it's very like stylistic. People wear like red button up shirts with two big collars and then like gray suits and they wear tiny sunglasses and stuff. I'm like, oh, this is this is a, a fake Yakuza gang. <laughs> <laughs> this is the that's the, the fiction they're selling. The American here. chapter. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then there's a small sort of gunplay interaction where <laughs> you're gonna say it. I'm so excited. Where DMX pulls out the <laughs> biggest machine gun I've ever seen and says the words, "Guns don't kill people. People kill people." <laughs> A philosopher of our times. We do not deserve DMX. And this is before I knew his name was Silk, so I just accredited that in my notes to DMX. So you can, you heard it here first, folks. Accredit that quote to DMX. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. What I specifically noticed about this little scuffle in the club is that there went from no broken glass to all of the broken glass in the world in about 30 seconds. (laughs) Like they focused so hard on just... Broken bottle, broken window, yeah. broken, broken, broken. I think I think that this movie sets a record for broken glass. Oh, for sure. And I think uh, uh, I think one Roger Ebert talks about it in his review. <laughs> I really want to read his review now. I didn't even think of that. Oh, it's fantastic. Cool. Also, in this scene, we meet the um, I'd say like the head underling of the crime family. He wears the little sunglasses. Yes, famously. yes, yes, yes. I think his name is Russell Wong in real life, but he looks like Asian Dean Kane. <laughs> Yeah. And I was not convinced he was Asian until over halfway through the film. Yeah. Because those glasses cover everything. And if I'm being honest, the movie is very racist. Oh, yes. It's, I mean, it's... there's a scene where black people are fire hosed, literally, <laughs> which I saw and I was like, nah. Yeah. I'm not doing this right now. Yeah. Uh, Jay, my roommate, pointed it out when we were watching it. And I was like, listen, I wasn't going to be the one to say it, but I think we were all thinking it. It's rough. Um, so, in a stereotypical fashion, every Asian actor in this movie has an accent. Whether it's authentic or it's a forced thing for a stereotype, I know at one point Jet Li plays it up, pretending to be a dim sum delivery man. Um, the the guy you're talking about did not have an accent. No, and it really kind of threw me for a long time. There was one part where they, where where. Uh, Jet Li's Han meets up with him and they have their little fake sparring match. He like has a whole monologue of sorts. And it was, I was like, is this guy even Asian? Is, is like, they've tried so hard to sell all the stereotypes for the rest of the movie. And this guy's just very Hollywood. To yeah. Me. He, he looked, he also, he looked like John Cusack as well. He just, <laughs> he had such like a nineties white guy look to him that I really had trouble. And he, he, he sure did that. And he uh, was evil, so I guess yeah. that teaches you a lesson. The white man is evil. Well, th- in this movie as well. I mean, yeah, that'll come up later. Spoiler. The white man ruins everything. The whole thing. Um, but this actor does do, or, or maybe the, the movie casts him, or their wardrobe people decide to put him in that good old gray t-shirt and those uh, windbreaker sweatpants tucked into the windbreaker sweatpants. Oh, hell yeah. Tiny sunglasses. Oh, I mean, that's just, uh, what's his face? That's Steven Seagal right there. I was going to say King from Tekken. Uh, we, both, we went different He ways. doesn't wear, he doesn't wear sunglasses because he, uh, he has a Jaguar head. 
Oh, <laughs> it's hard to fit uh, sunglasses on a Jaguar head. I put sunglasses on a cat before. That wasn't how'd easy. The, yeah, how'd it go? How'd it turn out for you? Not great. They're built for human heads, and cats' heads are very small. Where'd you put it? On top of the ear and kind of tilted them down? I think I tried that, and then I tried to do the thing where I kind of just, like, closed them near Around the back, back of the head yeah. so it would at least, like, hold on. The cat wasn't into it. Sure. She was out. She's a cat. Yeah, she okay. doesn't get it. <laughs> she can see in the dark. She doesn't need sunglasses. Yeah, she could see ghosts. I assume. What do you think they're doing all night? Uh, fucking peeing on things and eating <laughs> bugs. I don't fucking know. with ghosts. <laughs> Playing with them. Yeah. The ghosts let them out. They have little adventures in the night and then yeah, they come back. In the night times. Um, and then we we eventually do see Jet Li. Yes. In prison. In Hong Kong. Hong Kong prison. It, let me just tell you, if you have to go to prison somewhere, don't go to Chinese prison because it's worse. <laughs> uh I don't have much to say about this one except for, you know, it's prison. Sure. The, the riot guards seemed ready as soon as he started a fight, like about 10 people in full riot gear and shields came in, which implies that they were waiting for this to happen. I think what struck me about this is the fact that he just basically said, I'm done with this now and left jail. Said, I'm- <laughs> <laughs> he started shaking furiously and <laughs> said, then got I'm out. Gone. And then he x-ray broke this dude's arm, so, which was fantastic. It Please. was So the they bring him down into this, this torture chamber. With really wet floors. I noticed <laughs> yeah. that. They're dragging him on this wet-ass yeah. floor. And then they... Wow. They- <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> then they tie him up to a... a-, a- year 2000 Chinese torture crane. I don't know what that I think it was just was. a rope and a pulley. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but like was it there for for torture purposes? Cuz that's I what they used it for. I'd what else was so. it doing in the basement? Um <laughs> Yeah, and then then he does a fantastic uh Spider-Man on Broadway performance. Uh, um, alone in the dark. And, uh uh Thanks Sting. Thanks for that one. He he did he did. I was going to say what he had to, but I don't think he did. Um, <laughs> he could have left at any time. Uh, yeah, and they do the x-ray punch, which apparently the, the creator of this movie saw in an Asian film and was like, that's fantastic. We need this. I think it only happens one more time in the movie. Why would you set up such a strong visual motif? No, I think it happens like four times. Does and it? every time it happens, it's more ridiculous. Yeah. Like the last one. The last we'll one talk is about iconic. Later. That, sure. Oh my God. I want a chiropractor to do that to me. Like. <laughs> but it it seems like, oh, okay, we're going to set up like in the Matrix. Yeah. When they slow-mo and the bullets have the little wavy things, they use that all the time. That's a bread and butter for them. This... They set up this strong motif and then it just disappears for like an hour <laughs> into an hour and a half movie. <laughs> the whole time I'm thinking like they got to do it again. They can't they can't just do this once. Fantastic weird x-ray uh So here's something controversial. Ooh, hit me. I think he was able to break out of prison. Because the the inherent joke was all Asian people look the same even to Asian people. That he, was a joke they were selling. Because he's basically just walking in like a guard's uniform and they salute him and he salutes him and he walks out. And so, they, a, he's about to leave and they like go on lockdown and a guard walks up to him and says, you there. And then he gives him money to make a bet. Yeah. And it's over and he's out. 
Uh, I also like the guard says, once in my life, somebody gave me a tip on a bet and I did not place that. I will never make this mistake again. <laughs> That's your big tragedy? I love his backstory. Um, You're a warden of an evil Chinese prison, I think. And, and You got more going. And they... So the whole time they're doing that, I'm like, that. this can't be the joke that they're telling. Like, every part of me wanted to believe, oh, maybe maybe they're implying that it's a big jail and maybe they don't know all their coworkers and they just know uniforms and badges and whatnot. I was like, eh, it's not that big of a jail. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> and considering the amount of other uh, uh, racially charged jokes throughout the rest of the movie, yeah. Oh, there's <laughs> Then, back in America. Oh, thank God. We go to, uh, <laughs> we see Aaliyah's Trish character. Yes. Um, working in what <laughs> appears to be. <laughs> oh, do go on. This flubbocks to me to no end. <laughs> it starts off in like, okay, this is a coffee shop, right? This looks like a coffee shop. We're dealing with customers, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even keep a fucking straight face. <laughs> As the camera pans, we see racks of clothing continues to pan. We see a DJ and changing rooms. Children dancing. And and there's weird cuts to chunky shoes. (laughs) The changing rooms all have the the dressing rooms have shower curtains. (laughs) It's like industrial pipes and shower curtains and like pop art. And very small point of order that we learn uh, a little bit later not at this moment the name of the store is called serpentine fire what? i missed that you that's must have missed that crazy. that's it because uh han's brother who was murdered uh hanging from a pole in broad daylight uh han goes and presses redial what's the last person my brother called Lady answer says, hello, this is Serpentine Fire. And then he hangs up the phone. <laughs> and I was like, we're just gonna, all right, we're just going to throw that out into the ether. And that's uh, that's where that exists. Yes. So it said, Elias Trish works in a retail slash coffee store, question mark, called Serpentine Fire with a DJ in it, question mark. And a bunch of kids. And a bunch of kids. What? They never explain the context of these children. I think they just want you to believe that she's like a good community I think person. that's the idea, but they could have said something. Because she, she hangs just, out with kids a couple of times. Yeah. Like, at one point, she just buys, like, 12 ice cream cones for everyone. In a very specific, what looks like a, a porcelain ice cream cone holder. Yes, something that doesn't exist ever. <laughs> and I was like, so does she just give that back to the... Oh, the, you, know, you know what it is? What? It's in. They filmed that in Canada. In Canada, they must have those that I sure cream like. Uh, like they're, a they're carved bag, from moose bones. Yeah, like with bag wine or bag wine, <laughs> bag, bag milk. They make bag wine here too. <laughs> yeah, I've had it a few times. I think I've had it before. Hence why I said wine instead of milk. Uh, they have bag milk, and you uh, you have a specific pitcher that you do not put liquid in. You put the bag of milk in the pitcher, and then you cut off the end of the bag. And I think, why not just utilize the picture at that point? Canada fascinates me. You know what's what's a real treat in Canada? You take a bag of wine and a bag of milk and you pour them <laughs> both into a bigger bag and then you drink it out of that bigger bag and you like slap it and stuff. That's how they make Pepto-Bismol. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh my God. You let the bag sit in the sun for a few days. Yeah. Oh. Cures your indigestion. Uh, 
So I know that we have a whole thing with with her and and the the dad is trying to protect her, whatever. All those things happen. My next note is box bomb in all caps. <laughs> yeah, my next note is barber bomb all caps <laughs> underlines. <laughs> what the fuck was that? They have such a nice banter. Yeah. Between They've the barber. They've known each other for 15 years. 15 years. You couldn't catch a job if it tapped you on the shoulder twice. Like, such fantastic little things. Who sent you this present? Oh, must have been your wife. Ha ha. Well, open it. See what it is. Fire. <laughs> this is one of more than, I think there were four times in this movie where I said what was going to happen about four seconds before it happened. I just said, that's a bomb. And then it blew up. And I was like. I I didn't expect that. I don't know why. I was just like, that's a bomb. Whatever. I didn't know the context of the of the world at this point. So I, <laughs> I first second thought, oh, well, it must be like somebody's finger. <laughs> and like these two people are involved in the family sometimes because they're still establishing characters. I don't think we've learned Han's name at this point. True. So in my mind, I was like, oh, these people are going to have something to do with it. It's going to be a threatening reveal of some sort and they open the box and they show no wires no circuitry no anything as it opens just cgi fire exploding out (laughs) how did they what's the mechanics of that do you think i mean you know it's one of those i imagine there's (laughs) like a like a bugs bunny style trip wire that are just like hold it close and perfect so that when they open the box it happens like the it it felt like a like a like an arcane ritual like a like a <laughs> wizard exploded fire out of out of nothingness you threw a bunch of goat bones and runes in a box and closed it really fast yeah so the, the next person that opened it like when you you you, you know cup a fart and throw it at somebody oh as i do it, every sure. sunday at church <laughs> and uh yeah that's what the fire felt like and i was Actually, I wrote box bomb, but I think I just assumed it was a bomb um, and not that we were in a <laughs> a magical reality that only showed itself during this one scene and no other scenes. Although there is another great explosion at the end of the movie that utilizes similar CGI that is so very fake looking. But uh, the, the box bomb was intense. Now, I don't want to underplay how amazed by this bomb's mechanics you were, but what I was amazed by about this scene is the fact that this box bomb that killed apparently three people made front-page news in the USA Today newspaper, yet a Asian man being lynched in broad daylight in a residential neighborhood just seems to be completely washed over. Yeah, the year 2000, they still have some work to do, don't they? I guess. <laughs> As seen by this entire fucking movie. <laughs> And then we, um, just to double check, I'm a child again. Anthony Anderson is the dad on Blackish, correct? Yes. Okay, I just wanted to check. So he he comes up now. Maurice. And he, Maurice, yes. And he says, I'm here to get you because I'm going to protect you. But he's also very flirty. Sure. And then she, they go to like a Tower Records. And then she escapes while he's like jamming out to stuff. And then he runs out of the store and says the line... <laughs> Jeez, I can't even say it. I'm a fine you're a Leah looking ass, which is the funniest thing anyone's ever said ever. Uh, apparently in the trivia, I didn't catch it. I was looking for it. Um, apparently there's an Aaliyah poster hanging up somewhere. And I'm like, boy, they're not even being subtle I mean, about it. At one anymore. point, they're in the cl- when they're at the club later dancing, it's Aaliyah's song and she's lip syncing to it <laughs> while they're dancing. <laughs> um, a thing that I, I, I noted about this record store, um, 
God, don't you miss those like those listening stations? I remember the ones that I think it was Fye. They had like little soft buttons for each thing, and you'd press it. Hot Topic had similar that ones. That might as well. be what I was thinking of too. I don't know, but yes, Suncoast perhaps. And they would they would list them, and then you press the button, and you just listen to some music and vibe out, and apparently flirt with a girl who has headphones on and can't hear you. She looked famous too, but I don't know who it was. Um, there was also a little Kim poster in that, uh-huh. which marks. Two movies we've we've watched. Oh my god! And two movies god. with little Kim posters in them. Oh. I'm excited to see how many more. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be a checklist that goes cold for a while. Who knows? Maybe not. <laughs> Apparently, Little Kim was in every movie in 2000. She sure was relevant, wasn't she? Oh. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Tyler, is it true what they say about Hong Kong? <laughs> Does everyone know kung fu? Uh, he, <laughs> he, he steals this taxi. He sure does. Uh, using magic, presumably, because he barely touches the guy yeah. and he gets away with the keys is what I'm led to believe. Um, and then he, I guess Aaliyah says that his name is Akbar, which they're just laying it on thick at this point. I mean, I think... Because my what I got from that is that she saw the driver ID and it said that. No, no, I know. Oh, but okay. if you're going to name yeah. your one Middle Eastern character or potentially Indian character, like, that's, you know. And I, I, I thought it was very classy that the Middle Eastern character got to punch down at the Chinese guy and be like, learn English, you learn piece it. of shit. <laughs> <laughs> that was nice. That was a good yeah, touch was, yeah. for a Polish white director to write into his film. <laughs> We're just covering all our bases. No. Um, um, he then uses that name again later on. Oh, he does, doesn't he? He does. Oh, I missed that. Um, I mean, I didn't, but I did. Here we are. I just want to talk about this football scene. Wait, is it? There's nah. There's a few more things. If you wanted to, I mean, dig in, dig in. Let me, please. Let I me just. Ju- I'll just kind of. Th- none of these are huge. They're just little dumb notes. Um, they call him dim sum. They begin calling him dim sum about halfway through the movie, and oh right, yes. They call him that for the rest of the movie. Very good. Very good. It's a great name. They if have I had a wild an Asian friend that I was really really cool with, <laughs> I would call them dim. But sum. they also say because he they 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 were playing the they were playing the fiction that he was the dim sum delivery driver. That is true. And then they say, there's no food here, which obviously um, he, he beats several people's ass in an alleyway, uh, defying gravity on more than one occasion. True. And one of the thugs was wearing very small underwear, <laughs> which were like metallic. They had oh, the yeah. same hue as like a holographic Charizard. And he card. had an absolute hog in those things. He oh, had yeah. a fucking Andre the Giant fist <laughs> packed in those little underwear. And he does this like flamboyant oh, sort of sound and, and covers it. I'm like, man, you're not covering it. Come on. Come on. Let it's out thing. there. Let that thing. Let it rock. rock. What do you feed that thing? <laughs> Let the dogs out. Come on. They're hungry. Carf. <laughs> oh, no. DMX in the house. <laughs> Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Compose yourself. So let's talk about football. It's <laughs> enough testosterone in here to choke a horse. Anthony Anderson's character has the biggest handgun we've ever oh, seen. Yeah. Um, which I think he gets back later on, or he has another comically large handgun after Han threw it in the dumpster. So, 
I think at <laughs> later, like they have Han like in like they have him in his office and he's basically like, we're going to kill you now. Yep. And Han starts doing Kung Fu shit. And Anthony Anderson is just like, fuck this. Let's kill the guy. And he pulls out gun. his big gun. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you could have done that from the beginning. So we're in a park. We are a lovely Canadian park. We're, we're in Canadia. Uh, we see Aaliyah as Trish. Yes. At what is seen to be an ice cream truck. Um, it was kind of a nondescript truck at the beginning. And so I see her pulling out these plates. My first thought is, what kind of food truck gives you like like porcelain style plates? Mm-hmm. They're either making a lot of money or they have some sort of trust situation going on with Aaliyah and says, you'll bring these back, right? <laughs> You're Aaliyah. <laughs> not like we're in Oakland in the middle of a, a racial gang war or anything. You'll bring these back. No, go on. And I'll yeah. bring it up later. So there are these, these plates that are triangle and they have holes cut out to hold these specific ice cream cones. And I want to know who this ice cream guy is and what flavor the green ice cream was. I mean, as I have worked as a professional in the ice cream business, shit, you have. I can probably. I was a soda jerk, famously. It's one of my many funny title jobs. I wore a bow tie. It was fantastic. I'd say probably pistachio. That sucks. Maybe green tea. It's green tea or pistachio. That's my final. What about verdict. like mint? Eh, it wouldn't have been that color green, I don't think, because they don't really make just mint. It would be mint right. chocolate chip, yeah. and like the chocolate chips stand out. Yeah, and then the other one was yellow. Man, I don't know. That could Tough, be right? that could be just like a bad vanilla because sometimes yeah, it's yellowy. It could be like a lemon something or another. Yeah, and it, but it wasn't like a it wasn't like a like a water ice or a sherbet of it. No, sorry. no, it was, it was ice cream. Very clearly ice cream. Um, I didn't see that they were different colors at all, but I'm just going to attribute that to my colorblindness. Um, uh, I didn't really notice the color because there was a bunch of kung fu football happening. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is before that. This okay. is just setting the scene where uh, uh, an amount of children argue over uh, which color of ice cream that they want. It <laughs> just sucks. That makes me just think that the ice cream is super, super low quality and it's all the same flavor. It they just, just die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, want the green. I want the green. I want, I want the, the yellow. One. Like, ugh, that's not how we should be arguing over things. Um, so Han finds Trish, uh, I guess, to to talk about, hey, have you talked to your brother, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and there's a football game going on with the same people who just not a scene or two earlier uh, had their asses handed to them by Han. True. Um, Han gets the green ice cream. <laughs> and uh, Well, we can only assume now it is green tea because racism. Because racism in this movie. Um, and then gets recruited into the football game. Yeah, and they just say, you're going to hold the ball. And then they just tackle the shit out of him a few times and then he says oh i understand this american game whoever's holding the ball gets beat up and then he proceeds to very artfully kick the ass of everyone but only while making them hold the football so technically he's following the rules of football oh interesting wouldn't football be amazing if that's how it was if you just hand it off it, and punch people. Just kung fu fighting and like <laughs> throwing the ball around. I thought he was just, I thought he was handing the football over to be a dick. 
I mean, I think that was, yes, he was being a dick, but like he, <laughs> he was still technically following the rules that they told him. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. sort of, because I can only imagine he doesn't know what football is. Well, I think he does know what football is. A lot no, of he the, only knows what basketball is because that's the only the only ball that the, saved his life as the, a child. Saved him and his brother. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> fucking, uh, I think part of his character strength in this movie is he weaponizes the racism against the other gang. Yes, because he constantly plays up. I'm dumb. I'm Asian. He plays up the accent. He's like, I don't know what's going on. When he says American football at the end, he says it in this cocky over the top accent. Love that. So I think he I think he knows. They never explicitly say that he knows about football, but I think he knows about football. He's just being a dick. <laughs> That's fair. And and yeah, then all the after after the the ass kicking in the CG sunlight, because uh apparently it was very cloudy that day. And they only had one day to be in Canada. <laughs> Shoestring budget over there at Warner Brothers. Um, Jet Li said, I'm only spending one day here. Make it count. <laughs> Too cold. And and I I swore they were going to put another x-ray in this one. In the football scene? Yeah. That would have made sense. There was none. So at this point now, we've had two other big Jet Li fight scenes with no x-ray. And I was like, come on. They did it once at the beginning. You got to do it again. I mean, there's a really big one coming up. Sure. But not for a few minutes. Okay. But before that, we're moving to Aaliyah's brother, who is smoking what I can only describe as railroad moss with his (laughs) very attractive, robed girlfriend. Yes. And then she goes to answer the door and is not upset like she knows who answered who was behind the door she says hey and like they're talking about like base she's saying like probably some i was about to say probably some weird like comparison to a scene from romeo and juliet but definitely not they were just talking about she was like oh you're gonna move up honey he well he was he did not have enough (laughs) this this scene really was interesting to me because he didn't have enough dialogue in the rest of the movie for me to really get a grasp on what his mannerisms were. So I assumed True. the way he was talking was them being like, oh, he's a reefer addict. This is how high people talk. Oh, he did he, cough once right before I, he turned it, around. So as soon as the scene opens, it's a, <clears throat> and then he turns around. <laughs> um, and yeah, he's talking kind of funky. And I was like, I don't think this is how this guy normally talks. I think this is, this is like uh, that crazy marijuana. Oh, the oh. wacky <laughs> Uh, and then he gets murdered. Yeah, they get, um, I'm going to teach you a vocabulary word that I know you don't know. Ooh, fun. Do you know what the word defenestration means? Now where you're throwing out a window? Yeah, it's when you're throwing out a window. That's what happened. They got I would not have remembered. You, when I, you said it and said it's a vocab word, my brain yeah. went back to school where I was like, oh yes, this weird, very specific word. Yeah. Um, but had you just used it in a uh, conversation, I probably wouldn't have uh, picked up on it. So. Well, we're both smart. Hmm. We're gonna shake hands on my a, a left hand <laughs> shake. I'm left handed. Transpiring. Although I never mind. <laughs> okay. I don't need to talk about my personal habits on um, this show. So I get he's they're thrown out the window, right? You know, yeah. more broken glass, a motif in this movie, if you will, with no payoff or no explanation. Just it, it, a lesser mind might think it was just an interest 
of the director. <laughs> but he's into that shit. Us feet. Us two smart guys. Uh, uh, we we see it as a motif, perhaps a light motif. Um, do you think they really would have died? I was talking about this with my viewing partners. I don't. I mean, I feel like that. Like that was glass. Like that was glass. Glass. That was glass. It sure. wasn't just like a shitty window. Oh, like, would have hurt was, for sure. Yeah, I. I mean, they fell really high. They went through that glass. They the water. hit the water like flat. They didn't like neither of them did that thing you're supposed to do, which is try to like torpedo yourself in. So it only breaks like your feet. Uh, yeah, I think they died. I mean, we do see their bodies getting pulled out of the no, water. No, no, no. Clearly, so. they they did die. But uh, I noticed that the the sound team added an extra little like crunchy sound Ooh. when their bodies hit the water, and I was like. That's not how bodies hitting water sound. You know, now that you say that, I do remember that crunch. There's a little yeah. crunchy moment there. Man, that's what happens when you hire the budget Foley artists. <laughs> I want to talk about a couple things. Okay. We're at a good point now. We are. Where I can talk about some things later in the movie yeah. and some things early in the movie. I agree. I'm bringing it back around again. It's the future, isn't it? <gasps> Go ahead. <laughs> My segment about uh, use of future tech in in movies from the year 2000. Um, not much. Not a lot's happening. Um, there is a prominently displayed uh, computer in the office of Serpentine Fire. Yes. Or, uh, I think that's what it was called again. Um, fine, fun, cool. I was like, oh, man, if that's it, I don't have a good segment. But then we have a fantastic scene where Anthony Anderson's Maurice is playing oh. a football video game, which I did the research on. I'm going to break it down. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. They have a flat screen TV, right? Yes. Not uncommon, but not super common. Sure. They've got a PS1. This was the, the height of the technology for the time. I looked into it. The game that they were playing was NFL Game Day 99. Uh, because this movie was filmed in 1999, so they had to use what they had uh, available to them. This movie came out in uh, March 24th of 2000. Yes. The PlayStation 2 dropped in Japan in March 4th of the year 2000. So, oh. so <laughs> classic, classic of... of uh, entertainment in 2000. They thought they were doing this big tech moment. They show a guy with what seems to be a, a portable DVD player that they don't reference again. At first, I thought they were trying to tell us that was the controller, but then I later see the PlayStation 1 controllers. So they use this video game on a flat screen TV. They do a bunch of close-ups of the screen and the technology and the graphics. Which I might be mistaken, but I believe one of the teams playing in the game was the Philadelphia Eagles based on the jersey color. I think it was the Jets. Oh, okay. I was I that that's I only what I know get that, for pretending to sports. No, 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 no. no. It, it very well might have been. Um, but I I looked up a couple YouTube videos on this scene, and somebody talked about how uh, the person who was playing one of the teams threw the ball to the Jets defense, and so that's why I thought it was the Jets. But it could have been the Eagles. I mean, it could have been the Sharks, um, really. Shark Jets. Never mind. I was trying to do a West Side Story. Yeah, joke, yeah, because but... it's Romeo and Juliet. Oh, what? Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. <laughs> Get well, it. That sound. Get it. Um, and then uh, there's there's not much else um, that that's super futury. 
except for it's a really cool shotgun that's got a bunch oh. of like holes and stuff for no reason. And my roommate let me know this was a spas shotgun. Huh. So then I looked up production of the spas. It was uh, outlawed in America uh, for civilian use as Great. a classified uh, uh, military style weapon. But not only that, another hit on their future tech canceled production entirely in the year 2000. Ooh, man. <laughs> Just miss after this, miss. They really then, thought this was going to be big shit, didn't they? And then they do have that briefcase I was, assault gun. I thought you were talking that, about that. No, that's a good one. Uh, there's no tidbits on that. James Bond had done that before this movie and many movies after this have gone to do it. That's very true. Um, but that shit was tight when he pops it out <laughs> and there's a gun. Very also, cool. I feel like this falls into this. Props, props to that suitcase that had all the documents in it at the end. That that took, I believe, somewhere around twelve bullets, <laughs> and then was dropped from maybe fifty feet and exploded. Ex- like it just fell into pieces, and it took eight bullets. And you saw the other yeah. side, seeing that they did not go through, which I thought was ridiculous. And and then none of the documents were harmed. I feel like there were so many bulletproof things in this movie that in real life aren't bulletproof. <laughs> Uh, this movie felt like an 80s movie to me. Yeah. There's a lot of slap bass. Mm. <laughs> so there was a lot of year 2000 hip hop. Yes. As uh, uh, Timbaland did, was in charge of the soundtrack. Um, Aaliyah had three songs on it. And I think DMX had three songs on it. Um, but there was a lot of like, <laughs> you know, in like 80s movies or or, or crime type shows, where there's that like slap bass and then there's a really reverby synth that goes like and, yeah. and you're like oh my god this is the investigation part they did that like four or five times <laughs> i was like what year is this <laughs> what are they what are they telling us in this part right now clearly that it's an investigation but it it felt very retro, even for a movie that has a lot of retro feeling. I things. mean, hey, man, the classics never die until they do. <laughs> so we're about an hour into the movie, roughly right. in our description. And the main character, Han, has visited his brother's apartment, is living there, I think. There was this big scene where he's like looking around and looking at stuff like, oh, that was my brother. Oh, these pictures, blah, blah, blah. He's living there, assumedly. He comes back at one point after hanging out with Aaliyah and his apartment has been lightly ransacked. Right. And he's looking around, and he sees this photo on the ground and picks it up, and it's like him with a woman, and he moves his thumb and sees the a logo on a car tire, and then he goes over to a desk and, like, flips over a thing and picks up car keys. It took him, assumedly he's been living there at least for three weeks, to figure out that his brother had a car. <laughs> and then he goes down to the garage, and his brother has an amazing sports car Fantastic with a car. naked lady cane full of cocaine that he blows out. Yeah. That and was... then he pulls out this list of names that will assumedly help him solve all of the oh, blow inner the whole killings, thing wide open. Basically, yeah. <laughs> um, he Washington posted this whole thing. But yeah, so he has a car now. Um, um, also, I think Aaliyah was in the apartment. Maybe? Because I think, if I'm not mistaken, he had given her the address after the football thing. True. And said, come visit me. Tell me when you talk to your brother. And then she's just in the apartment that's been ransacked. And I think that's when she tells him that her brother has died now. That sounds right. I just watched this movie less than an hour ago. And the the plot is so all over the place that I I can't even keep the details straight. Well, time for a big left turn because there's a motorcycle chase. Badass motorcycle chase. It was a 
a ugh, so creamy and juicy and delicious. I loved it. They got chained motorcycles and Uzis and all this bullshit. And they're, the car's getting shot. There's this slow motion jump where the driver of the motorcycle is shooting at them. And it's really hard to make the motorcycles go slow like that. So I really <laughs> appreciated that. And right like when every like when the car stopped and they started fist fighting, I was like, she and you know what? I was being a dick. I was like, oh, she's gonna take out her helmet's gonna be a chick, and everyone's gonna go like, what? And then it happened immediately, and I was like, what? So, uh, renowned uh, critic uh, Roger Ebert says, uh, killers on motorcycles once again forget that it is dangerous to chase cars at high speed because if they get thrown off their motorcycle, it will hurt. The reliable, and this is in caps motorcycle opaque helmet rule is observed when you can't see the face of a character because the visor is down chances are gasp it's a woman (laughs) (laughs) that was just so good and then that was followed by jet lee realizing he could not hit a woman because he has morals so he uses Aaliyah's body as a weapon (laughs) to beat up this chinese woman and then kill her by pushing her onto a spike protruding from the ground and we get an x-ray scene of her heart oh right that one sure and that was just so much it It was 60 seconds of pure cinematic bliss that was it's it's wild to me because this movie takes its time on so many dumb jokes and like when they're playing nfl game day 99 that takes like a little bit of time. They show more than one close up of the screen mm-hmm. of things happening. Uh, uh, Anthony Anderson at length talks about uh, these nuts in your mouth, um, which is very, very funny. It, um, hilarious, in fact. <laughs> but then the implication of that scene, which is Chinese people are killing Chinese people. So maybe this gang thing is not so black and white. To, to, you know, not to put too fine a point on it. Maybe there's some nuance yeah. to this big old war. Um, and then also uh, revealed I can't hit a woman, but I will use a woman to hit a woman. Um, I, I murder this person. Uh, this is the first, I believe, the first woman that we've seen acting as an operative in this situation. All of this stuff plays out in about a minute. And yeah. You're like, fuck, this just changes the whole tide <laughs> of the whole movie. You sure you couldn't expand upon this a little bit? I think Anthony Anderson could have cut down on his uh, NFL game day 99 playing. Something. What were they fighting about? I never. Was it drugs? Was it money? Like, I never understood. Like, what did these families do? Oh, the initial conflict? Yeah, I don't know. Like, there's. It's like the Big Lebowski. Like, there's no resolution. It's just like there are two crime families that do crime, like, just um, what's the word like generic crime <laughs> <laughs> the store brand crime yeah, the white yeah, box of yeah, crime yeah. written on it and that that yeah, uh it's it's, just... it's 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 revealed that uh both mac and the the head of uh chu his name is chu sang oh, yes. uh that mac and chu sang have have intensified the war for their own personal reasons but you're right they never say like this is what started it uh I think it's assumed that the white people started the war, um, but it's never. I, yeah, that it, there are white people that come in periodically and just seem to be fueling the fire. Right. Like, and I think from the point that the brother was thrown out the window, I realized it was like inner family stuff. Like they yeah. were killing their own and like just to make everyone else in the gang be like, right. oh, they're doing it. We need to fight them. But the, the, the white people, when first seen, are playing golf uh, with with Isaac O'Day. Uh, 
uh, and they say the first thing this very, 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 uh, well, I guess that's the other thing. If you're going to be racist, go all the way. It's a very cliche white man and, and very, very cliche, bad white guys, um, hair pushed back playing golf says first lines out of his mouth say, how are those acquisitions coming? I said, well, <laughs> that, that is on the head as you can get. <laughs> And and then proceeds to uh, tell Isaac about how to play golf. Yes, and apparently I didn't know this. You have to break your wrist every time. <laughs> every time you hit the ball. But and- if you use your shoulders, the the wrist will naturally break. Oh yes. You know what? You're right. One of the people I was watching this movie with is a woman of color, and when this scene began, she looked at me and said. I don't think I've ever seen a black person playing golf except Tiger Woods. <laughs> and I was like, valid. <laughs> Partial credit. I thought, what do you want? Can I bring you somewhere real quick? What? Can I bring you somewhere real quick? Oh, please. I want to bring you over to the, uh, to the memorabilia corner. Oh, 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 no. Oh, God, no. What is it? Oh, I'm so worried. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to start giving you some. Memorabilia okay. from this movie that I've found on the internet, oh, and no. you're gonna you're gonna try and guess their prices for me. Okay, I'm into this. Okay, so this is a twelve by eight inch reproduction of the poster from the movie. Mm-hmm. It says signed, but when I did some further reading, it turns out that it, this is like a scan. Of the signature, I've been fooled by that before. Which, guess how much that goes for? The scan, the well, it's a it's a printed out version, yeah. but it's it's from a scan. I'm gonna say seventy five dollars. Seven dollars and sixty one cents. Well, <laughs> we're going low on oh, Romeo Must Die. Um, authentic, rare autograph CD cover signed Romeo Must Die soundtrack, uh, signed by Aaliyah. It looks like it says to Dira. It, it it has a to someone name, mm. and then it says peace, uh, and it looks like Aaliyah, but it could be any number of things because it's just a squiggle in silver Sharpie. Um, this is apparently certified authentic. Um, it is currently on sale right now for about half price. You want to let me know what that is? You want me to tell you what the half price is? Yes. I'm going to stick with my original guess of $75. <laughs> Two thousand oh dollars. God, <laughs> the prices are all over the board for Romeo Must Die. I cannot go on Deal or No Deal this week. I need yes. to call those guys. Um, so Whew. this is a really good one. Um, this is shirt featured in Romeo Must Die movie on Aaliyah. It is when you first see her in the Serpentine Fire of store. And she starts dancing with the kids a little bit, which is a weird extended dance yeah. moment. It's the shirt that she's wearing, which I bet in your head right now, you couldn't even picture what it is. Um, it's got kind of like a like a, a Asian design of like a like a geisha, which ah. I think they're they're assuming is foreshadowing, although that seems very Japanese. And the family was explicitly Chinese. I mean, Jet Li does escape his captors in the end by pretending to be a geisha and wandering off with the rest of the women in the ge- geisha show. Sure. <laughs> um, how much do you think that one goes for? Oh, I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to say 5000 
This one has $1,000 crossed off for a $2,000. I've never <laughs> seen a discount go up. <laughs> We've decided to double our asking price. It's just in such high demand. We've been informed Aaliyah, in fact, was famous. Yes, and did die the year after this movie was released. Yeah, that one That one was an odd one, and I, I, I don't think it's real either. Oh, probably not. But... And and our last one that we have here, um, this is a lobby card. Yes. So kind of like a brochure pamphlet. It's got a picture of both uh, Jet Li and Aaliyah together in what seems to be not an actual scene from the movie, just like a post press one. Um, it, it says lobby card number one. According to the description, there are two of these in the world. I don't believe that. Oh, that I'm is sure there are the much more. Fakest thing I've ever heard. No, I mean it looks like a real lobby card. No, I mean like there uh, are thousands of these. There's a box of a thousand of them in someone's basement right, right now. Right now, um, this one is unsigned, but it does say Jetly Aaliyah Dash Great in all caps and an exclamation point. So you know it's the real thing. How much do you think this one's going for? Oh man, I'm. Mm. $50. Don't do it. Don't. Don't. $49.99. Oh! Ooh, the kid is back. <laughs> that one right on. Plus an $8 shipping, which, you know. Oh, my this- God. $8 for a flat piece of. <laughs> no signature a or anything. Thick piece of paper. That's yeah, great. With no signature or anything. In fact, oh. you could get you could get a reproduction of their signature on a bigger piece of paper for <laughs> much less money. A fifth of the cost. Yeah, with a two dollar fifty four dollar <laughs> shipping cost. So that's been my uh, wow. my memorabilia corner. Oh. Oh. oh my! Oh my! I wish I could have found more, but uh, that's that's that one. You know, next next week. Next week, I'll do memorabilia. Okay. Because I, I know some weird places to sure. look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. What is, what's even left? Uh, <laughs> well, no. <laughs> A fantastic quote from Anthony Anderson. Filled with quotes and one-liners in a, in a very sort of climactic moment. He says, some you win and dim some you lose. <sighs> and I damn near turned the movie off. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I needed to see. I yeah, that was. Whew. Talk about a payoff. I set something up early on. He and he really did that on the fly. Like he was chasing him. Like where are you going, dim sum? Yeah. And he just he committed. And he says, "Some you win." He's got a good head on his shoulders. Win. That Anderson. Um. Oh, wow. So then, the, the, we go back to the white people making their deals. Yes. And it starts to to play out more and more what the the truth of the situation is and what the what the deal that they're making is that they're willing to murder people time and time again. Um, <laughs> building a stadium. Yes. They want to clear out the whole neighborhood and build a giant stadium. Oh no! But what about the community center? Exactly. Well, we might as well just. Push their face into a bucket of crabs because I think that's something that happened in this movie. It sure is. That was the most insane low rent threat I've ever seen in a movie. (laughs) Yeah. Because, like, it's insane to push someone's face into a bucket of animals, but they were all very docile crabs. Slowly moving. Like, one of them pinched his collar a little. Yeah. That was it. And and when he finally let him go, the guy was like, You're fucking crazy, man. And I was like, It's not that crazy. So, my friends have done worse things to me, and I like them. Um, there was one reviewer of this movie that said, uh, 
you'd think that positioning of this planned stadium is probably known to at least the community. Yeah. If not the the city as a whole, if not the the area. Considering when we went to the barbershop, they were talking about the new team and the new stadium and and what have you. And that's why they had to get murked. Yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly. Sure. It oh, it all makes sense in the in the in were, the plan. Were they just mail bombing every person that knew about it? No, they they were hanging some from telephone poles and oh, mail bombing yeah. others and You're right. <laughs> crab facing some <laughs> a, some lucky few a diversity of punishment yeah don't you think after a while some newspaper would be like hey everyone on this street has been dying <laughs> where the stadium's supposed to go uh the 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 less obvious even choice would be hey maybe we don't build a stadium here anymore it seems dangerous yeah i mean <laughs> and the second one being the 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 i think the more obvious choice is Hey, you think the stadium's got something to do with it? <laughs> and, you know, it's a ballsy move to want to build a stadium in the middle of a major city. Because yeah. most cities either built their stadiums 150 years ago when there was nothing there, or they build them in the parts of town that used to just be fish and garbage like we did. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because oh, no. there's uh, <laughs> uh, some history that I looked up on oh, on, no. on what the cultural significance of this would be in the real world. Um, so... Oakland is where we're in. And I knew it was Oakland because I did this research um, to see what town or city this is in, what football team this would be and, and what their history in the city is. Um, Oakland Raiders. Yes. uh, Apparently they do have a history of leaving Oakland and then coming back. I think I knew that. So they mentioned it early on. They said, Oh, I thought we were done with this last time. The team left town. They never say which team. They just say the team, and they say that they're in Oakland. However, this was filmed in 99. They never tell us explicitly what, when it is, what year it is. The Raiders had come back to Oakland in 95, and they had signed the deal like two years earlier, so everybody knew they were coming back. And then they didn't make a whole new stadium. They just expanded the capacity on their existing stadium. That makes sense. Which was done in 96. So did like one of the writers on this movie just have a grudge? <laughs> I guess so. And maybe they, they, it would have been very easy to have a card at the beginning that says like Oakland. 1995. I mean, the whole and opening like, was just a bunch of names and Chinese characters. Yeah. Like and just thrown one more slide up. The Oakland 1995, and suddenly, and then, oh, the scene is set. We are now set in reality aside from arcane uh, box bombings. You know, why I was confused is because the Golden Gate Bridge famously goes from San Francisco to Oakland, mm. and I just saw the bridge, and I assumed they were in San Francisco because it's, right. you know, the cooler city. Sure, yeah. But, I mean, that's just me saying that, but, you know, seems fun. Didn't Dr. Dre say something about Oakland one time? I mean, I think, isn't, I know he wasn't was Oakland a big rap town? Yeah. A big rap, big, big rap town, a, a big hip hop city. <laughs> uh, upon reading some of the reviews, um, some of these reviewers are are not too happy about uh, rap music. Um, You're telling me a bunch of old white men are upset about rap music. You know, I know it's hard to believe. I really know, but I, that that is unfortunately what I'm telling you. Was Roger Eber cool with it? No. Oh, that's a shame. I feel like he would have been. He said that a lot of the soundtrack undercuts the 
drama of it because rap music is largely spoken word and it muddles the dialogue, which I don't think is true because I didn't have trouble understanding people when rap music was on in the background. It seems like he was upset about it. Um, I think it was one Elvis Mitchell for the New York Times says, dreary as it is, Romeo Must Die is bound to be a hit thanks to its well-selected and wall-to-wall hip-hop soundtrack. Particularly good songs by Timbaland and Yes, Aaliyah that's so pervasive, Romeo might as well be a musical. That's about the only review that I found that liked the music in this. Well, good Um, for the New York Times. Funny thing, uh, you want to know the opening lines of of Elvis Mitchell's review of Romeo Must Die for the New York Times? Oh, sure. Who wants to be a millionaire? Almost every character in Romeo Must Die. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, guns are blazing on that one. And you know what? This movie did make back its budget, I think, at least four times over. So good for them. (laughs) Actually, I think it was three times over. It made like $91 million, which isn't bad. You notice that they never... uh... They never kiss or, like, hold hands or do anything romantic in this movie? I mean, um, you know, if they showed actual physical interracial love, the country might have exploded. Yeah, apparently... I I mean, look what's happening now. (laughs) You went so long without it. Um, Apparently, they they did film a kissing scene, Uh, and they showed it to test audiences, and according to the producers and directors who I, I... can't imagine are any color other than white um said that it quote unquote did not play well to urban audiences um jetly has some some feelings that it may have been because uh still to this day people do not always have good reception about sexualizing asian men apparently they're not seen as uh, viable love interests which i think is dumb it is dumb i think he's a handsome man he is short, which they do talk about a couple of times, but I think he's a handsome. I mean, my friend Max is short, but he's very handsome. Max is handsome. The other the other rationalization that they had for it is because the only time that they were going to do the kiss is right at the very end. And they said, uh, we don't think Han is the type of man who would watch his father murder himself and then go kiss a person. That was a little, yeah. Also, what I... So... It's the end of the movie. Yeah. His, his dad's dead. He's walking out. The police get here. They all are the same looking white person. And they just <laughs> let him walk out. Just go. And then him and Aaliyah, assumedly, live happily ever after. Forever and ever. And, you know, it's fun to see a movie where cops were still good. It's funny that cops weren't bad until this year, right? It's <laughs> like the first time it happened. They were just... Just doughty little men eating their donuts and flipping their batons. And- Ignoring an entire uh, yeah. genre of noir films, which revolves around the phrase crooked cop. Oh, yeah. I forgot cops were bad. Oh, oh shucks. Funny. No, they took a break until this year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know. I think it's, it's a regional thing. You know, 30s and 40s, noir, crooked cops. Crooked as they come. Bad, bad, bad. Very, very long break until... Well, fuck the police by NWA. But that was an outlier. They were, they were in case you don't recall, they were uh, chastised for that. They were, oh, their, their they, entire fan base left because they said, fuck the police. These people have been wonderful since the noir films of the <laughs> 30s and 40s. And, and now, and that is famously what the audience has said. 
and they they got a big finger wagged at them, and that is why none of the people in NWA are famous today. <laughs> Not a single one of them. And and wouldn't you know it, cops are bad for the first time since the 30s and That's 40s. Crazy, insane. Uh, <laughs> wow, <laughs> really makes you think. A note for the audience: that was all a joke. Yeah, cops are famously really bad and have been since their conception as slave captures, captors. Now back to the program. Anyway. To the program. Program. I don't have too much else to say no. on this. Um, there was a really big fight between Asian Dean Kane and our lead character where um, oh, yes. he gets fucking fire hands, meaning that his hands get mushed into red coals and they're like covered in blood and, and he's, the Asian Dean Kane is pushing on him. And the whole landscape sets on fire. Yes, and there's it's really intense kung fu, and you think you think Han is down and out, but no, he comes back and he does the single most impressive kung fu move I've seen in my entire life. And it. I've seen the scenes where Bruce Lee killed someone with a one inch punch to the heart. He kicks him on the top of the head, and then we see the final and best X-ray scene where his entire spine, like a row of firecrackers, <laughs> explodes from his skull to his ass, and it is just. Fantastic. <laughs> like, it's probably the most iconic thing yeah, in this movie, aside from uh, the credits song, which is Elias Try Again, which is made for this movie, which is just fantastic. But then I let the credits play for a little bit. They cut the song short. Oh, I didn't get that far. That so sucks. much, so much potential in Romeo Must Die. Oof. And so many, so many missteps, just misstep after misstep. The final one being the final nail in the coffin of cutting that song short because it is a fucking certified bop. It is. Um, it is a bop. So it's called Romeo Must Die. Yes. Who's Romeo? That's a good point because, assumedly, Romeo is Han. But there's never really a point where, like, everyone's trying to kill him. I mean, there's definitely fights, but, like, only in the end are people, like, pointedly trying to kill him. There's only one time that they make mention of it, and it's when Mac, after revealed to be a traitorous villain, uh, is pointing a gun at Han and says, Sorry, Romeo, but you gotta die. Oh, you know, I <laughs> forgot that was said. I think I was so confused by the whole movie. And. And why didn't they just have him say, like, the name of the movie? If they were going to allude to it, it's called Romeo Must Die. They say, sorry, Romeo, but you gotta die. Like, that almost put it, it together a little it more. It seems like that that he did multiple takes, and that just happened to be the best one, but he said it wrong, but they still did yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, they were, yeah, that's fine. We're not going to pay him an extra I actually day. thought that, too. I was like, that feels a little more improv than it should have been. Um, but, you know, liars that Hollywood are. Romeo does not die. Punch of paid liars. Because he is saved by Aaliyah murdering a man <laughs> with a big gun. And he... Okay, so I was th- I forgot about this scene. So basically, like, they get the paperwork back and, like, everything's going to be fine. White people are out of the picture. And one yeah, of the... Yeah, they just, they just fly yeah, off. And if they're gone, yeah, it's fine. Sure. And one of the cronies is, like, picking up the papers. And without looking at Han, basically just, just says, like, ah, oh, all those Chinese killings? That was an inside job. And then he stands <laughs> up and says, well, you gotta die. Yeah. Aaliyah shoots him. He looks at her and in the flattest tone I've ever heard this say, says... Finish the quote? Well, wait, I have it written down. Damn, that's some cold shit. <laughs> I wrote him as one quote because not a line of dialogue gets spoken between uh, Damn, Romeo, you gotta die. Damn, that's some cold shit. <laughs> like the most calm, measured way I've ever yeah. heard that said. My word. Yeah, other than that, this isn't really 
Romeo and Juliet in a way that oh, they... Oh, not at all. Like, I was expecting maybe Aaliyah to fake her death. Right. To, like, get away from her controlling father. And then maybe they could, and he would hear about that and try to kill himself, but they'd end up together anyway. But none of that happened, and I was really pumped. Don't you remember that classic inciting incident in uh, Romeo and Juliet where they blow up a, an apothecary? <laughs> oh, yeah. I always forget the dirty bomb they planted in that yeah, shop. Yeah, yeah, they, they blended in with his other uh, potions. Uh, so it's actually a different apothecary that they get the poison from at the the end oh uh, well um, you know there's always more than one apothecary in town classic there's, there's, shakespeare. The, there's the good one and then there's the one you go to if you know you have to classic shakespeare <laughs> that guy um, willie so in 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 this movie they've now uh refitted that to be a barbershop ah yeah well you know no there's nothing strokes. there's nothing at all that's romeo and juliet other than families don't like each other uh, that we're led to believe that these two characters are falling in love, but I don't really feel it considering they're both kind of really bad actors. <laughs> you know what I appreciate about this? It's such a departure from the source material that it's almost good. Yeah. Because like there has been such a swash, a swath of, um, like reproductions of William Shakespeare stuff where it's like set in post-apocalyptic future oh, right, like right, set right. in the 1940s and it's just like verbatim or in the, the script, 90s but with yes, she's all that that is true but yeah you know they just threw it in the garbage and pulled out like four pages yeah. and you know I respect them almost uh, so yeah Ro- Roger Ebert actually was excited about it uh, was oh. excited about the prospect and then decided he gave it one and a half stars he didn't like that quote urban music <laughs> he, he sure didn't <laughs> But later in his life, he married a black woman. He might have been married to her the whole time. I don't remember. And he had cancer. I don't know. I watched the documentary about him somewhat recently. So um, Well, so given he, that he did a review on this, I'm definitely going to be looking up more of his reviews specifically. Oh, I mean, for the his rest. are famous. Yeah. He was famous. That was his job. <laughs> <laughs> Famously, that was his job. Um, wrapping this up here, I, <laughs> Rap. I'm going to. I'm sorry. I'm going to start a ranking. Of yes. my top five 2000 movies. Well, we're two in. We're two so. in. So obviously there can only be a one and a two. Um, and this is not about my personal interest in the movie. This is how 2000 is it? You know, like 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 how just fully encapsulating of what I imagine that, that juxtaposition of like 90s culture and then trying to be the future mm-hmm. right now romeo must die is solidly in the top spot oh for sure and it's probably will be for a while we'll see so i know and i thought about this when i was thinking about it i was like man i know we're only two in but this is gonna have the top spot for a while and i'll create some graphics and we'll post it on twitter to to keep the scoreboard going so, from a scale of, like, 1 to 10, um, Anthony Anderson's, what would you give this movie? Give this movie uh, a D's nuts in your mouth. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> can I can I just talk about the quick um, closing note here? So, uh, Anthony Anderson, famous actor. He's been in so many things. I think that the three... I can't even say Yeah, get it out. I think the three capstones of his career are very clearly this film, followed by about... When did Kangaroo Jack come out? Like, (laughs) 
Was it 2010-ish or was it earlier? I think it was earlier, but still. So rough, I'd say roughly every decade, he has a capstone to his career. The first of which being this. Second of which, Kangaroo Jack. Third of which, Blackish. Great show. Um, I think they all take place in the same cinematic universe where he got out of crime after this movie. And then he was still kind of rough around the edges for Kangaroo Jack. And then he met the woman from that sitcom that who, the woman who plays his wife was on before she was on Blackish, and I can't think of it now, but it's on Netflix now. This became really in the weeds really fast. But they're all in the same world, and that's where I stand. In a different podcast, we'll have to go into the uh, Anthony Anderson cinematic universe. I'm sure he'll be back. Uh, oh, There's no way he's not in another movie. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. I'm going to call it there. God damn, let's do it. I'm your handsome host, Tyler. I'm your crime syndicate host, Nicholas. This has been Millennium Bug. See ya. Bye.